When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wiz and Cricket Weekly podcast going daily for the T20 World Cup. Another day of drama with Stafka edging out India, Pakistan finally getting on the board and Bangladesh winning twice against Zimbabwe. Here's talking through all of it, a Wiz and Stan senior and Wiz and India editor, Adya Sharma. Hello to you both. Uh, let's start with the final game of the day between India and South Africa. This was a good game, uh, a close game with India taking it to the final over. Really, it was kind of decided in the first 10 overs when Lungi Ngidi took four wickets. Dan, why is Ngidi so good? He's not absolutely express pace. doesn't seem like he has loads of variations. It's not like with Hazelwood where he's sort of hitting that, that sixpence every single ball. It's not like he's doing absolutely loads with the ball in the air off the pitch. And yet he always seems to take wickets. What 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 is it that makes him good? Yeah, I asked this question earlier and I'm still not even sure. Um, nothing he does is... It seems spectacular, but he's just consistently brilliant in this format. What did he have today? Four for 29. Mm-hmm. I think he gets a lot of joy from changing up his length. He's quite clever there. We've seen that be effective on you know, a number of occasions, especially at, on that Perth pitch. Um, but if you started to delve into why he's got a strike rate of less than 12, like why he takes a wicket more than quicker than every two overs, I couldn't begin to tell you because there must be something hidden within his skills that you know I can't pick out. He's a better bowler than I'm able to analyse. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, the, there might be something in actually that he is just very good at identifying the right line of attack for each game, I guess, because it was the short ball today with with the big boundary with how pacey it was. And he, he really honed in on that and was just doing that time and again, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was. I guess it was also a game that was odd because it was the first 10 and the last 10 West Africa was so good. Uh and in that second half, South Africa just, uh, of the chase, South Africa just came out and attacked, having been, what, like 40 for three at the halfway stage or something? Uh, David Miller was key to that. He's he's very good, isn't he, Adia? Yeah. There was a point in the middle when we thought that, you know, David, we've lost the person that we know David Miller as, you know, the kind of batsman that we think he is. But uh, he's had a tremendous 2022. He's, he's been so good. Uh, he's averaging, I think, 250 plus in uh, successful chases this time, this year. So it's it's just uh, brilliant to see because I think what has changed for him now is how he approaches spinners. I think that was something missing in the middle when he had become a bit inconsistent. There's more clarity to his thought. And you could see it in how he attacked at the right time, uh, Ashwin, and you know closed the game for South Africa. Uh, Dan, are South Africa the best team in the tournament? And are, are they favourites now, would you say? Are they the only unbeaten team left? I think they might be from New Zealand uh, but yeah how, how good are they do you think uh, how good are they short answer very good long answer very good um, <laughs> I think they've probably got the best pace attack in the comp um, and like within Guinea today with that uh, length variation I think it suited them playing India at Perth today um, bouncing people out we saw a lot of a lot of people caught in the deep as we have in other games there um, that attack's got 
a mix of raw pace with the likes of North Cape, but then it's got clever change-ups and variations. Wayne Parnell's someone, I think, who's really interested in the way he's come back into the team. Uh, adds a different dynamic to them. Uh, they don't often produce much rubbish. They're always a gun field inside. That was one of the key differences today we saw with Rabada's catch to get rid of Coley. That's just a massive moment in the game um, to break open India's top order. They've got their explosive batting lineup. They showed today they can adapt as well, even though they lost to Cork, Bavuma and Rousseau, who uh, has got, what, three ducks and a ton against India. Um, so he goes big or goes home. But they stuck in there and they exploded at the end when they needed to. So, yeah, short answer, very good. Long answer, very good. And I think probably favourites to finish top of Group 2 now. And you know what? I fancy them to beat whoever finishes second in the first group as well, I think. Um, yeah, you mentioned Safka's excellent fielding. We should talk about... India's fielding as well, I guess, and that Coley drop in particular, because it was remarkable. Sort of, I mean, it just when that goes up and you see it's Coley settling underneath it, and then it's just I don't understand how it's how it's how it's bounced out basically. And then also, there was almost a moment for me where I was like, "Hang on, that can't be Coley's drop that," and yet it was Coley drop that. And then I was thinking, actually, does he drop more catches than you think? And is he one of those fielders who we've been told is a brilliant fielder? And who does brilliant things, like he did that brilliant catch in the warm-up game, didn't he, against Australia? Uh, but he is actually quite fallible, almost like Ben Stokes in terms of being capable of the spectacular. But also, maybe there's the odd sort of calamity in there as well, I guess. Yeah, perhaps um, with those sort of players, I think the scrutiny is always on, isn't it? So you notice, you know, you notice their blunders more than you might notice other people. That catch, like you say, it was it was a dolly for someone of his standard or for for any professional cricketer. Um, it was just like you say, the narrative, the ball went up, it's Coley out there, it's got to be gone to drop it once and then drop it twice as he fell over. It was like barely believable. And if you'd taken that, then you've got to think they've got a way better chance because Miller hadn't even started at that point. But I think it's important to mention that India is like a collective weren't at the best today. I think with the what misrun out from Roe, it was fairly simple. And there's a couple of other sloppy bits of fielding. But if you want a definitive, a definitive answer on Coley, um, on the basis of the last few games, I guess you'd say he's not a great fielder. Um, drop catches and a run out or two, but I actually still think he is. Fair enough. Very, very diplomatic of you. Uh, <laughs> there were a couple of bright points for India in a in what was a sort of disappointing day. Arship Singh was brilliant with the new ball again, and uh, Suri Kumayadav remains uh, incredible with the bats. Adia, are we at the point where those two are kind of India's two most important players? Yeah, you can say that actually, because uh, with Arship, you uh, were obviously unsure how much because you've obviously seen how good Arshdeep has been in the IPL over the last two, three seasons. But to fill a Bumrah-sized gap in the bowling attack is obviously a big deal for anyone. But Arshdeep has done that. And he was initially, you know, he, he was taken into the team as someone who can bowl well in the death. But he's done so well with the new ball. So that's really nice to see. Like you've got a bowler who can sort of be valuable at the start and at the end also. And that's that was obviously valuable to, for India at any point. So, you know, Arsteep is, you know, full marks to him. He's done his bit and he continues to do well again and again. And the same goes with Surya also. Uh, you rightly said he is probably the first name that, you know, maybe after Rohit, who gets into the team. And uh, he's someone who sort of has the knack to play the game at a different level compared to what the others are playing. It's, uh, you You don't need to see the pitch. You don't need to see the bowling attack because that was right there. A, a pacey pitch, a great bowling attack, but he was still able to find his way of playing and, you know, excel in that. And uh, to see India's top order crumble the way it did and, you know, 
for Surya to rise the way he did it. It was very good to see. So yeah, these, those two are definitely the top two uh, right now for India. Uh, in terms of what India can change, uh, I mean, it's not a case, you know, ripping up the script. They're still a very good team. But there was quite a bit of discussion that I saw about uh, Rishabh Pant and whether he should come into the 11 for the next game. Uh, it looks like India might not have a choice in the matter because Dinesh Karthik went off uh, injured. But yeah. Adia, what, what could Pant bring to the team? And if it were to be that Karthik was fit, which way would you go in terms of that selection decision? So, uh, it, it see, I'm personally not in favour of uh, making, uh, you know, in-tournament, big in-tournament changes based on form. Tactical, I can understand. Uh, you've backed KL Rahul to be your opener and, you know, you should stick to that. But then... Uh, he's sort of become like a walking wicket at this point. Uh, you know, you can see that he's just not able to put any impact at the start. And that's having sort of a cascading effect because, you know, Rohit Sharma has to play in a way that he doesn't usually play. Rohit generally takes his time and, you know, builds in innings before he explodes. But now Rohit has to uh, play in a very unnatural way. He's trying to go for shots instead of, you know, timing them as he does. So in that sense, if Pant comes in, Pant gets a bit of, you know, uh, he's sort of a free-flowing batsman. And it's not an outlandish thought also because you've tried Pant, you know, you've tried Pant recently uh, as an opener for India. So it's not an outlandish thought. The second thing that can happen is probably having Pant in the middle, somewhere at 4-5, five, uh, 5 probably, obviously. Uh, and, uh, you know, having him as a floater because he can attack the spinners. So that's an option as well. But uh, it doesn't seem very likely if, if Dinesh Karthik is fit because it doesn't seem to be the kind who would make such drastic changes. Hmm. I guess India might think as well, they've got what Bangladesh next and Zimbabwe next. And with respect to those teams who we will talk about, uh, we'll yeah. talk about them now, but they might think that Carol Hall might be able to get some form against those or they can yeah. just delay that decision if he's out of form, they have a replacement, I yeah. guess. On Zimbabwe, Bangladesh. Uh, Bangladesh won by three runs. This was a, uh, a good, if perhaps low quality game, that's fair to say. Uh, but Dan, this was a real blow to Zimbabwe, who, if they had won, would have still had a decent shot at the semi-finals. Not that they're out of it now, but it does obviously hurt their chances. Yeah, after the game the other day, I think it was Abhishek who said it on the podcast when I was editing it. He said, Zimbabwe have actually got a good chance of the semis. And at first I thought, no, they haven't. And then I looked at it and I thought, oh, that actually they have. Like, they're, they're really well placed. So when I woke up today and I saw they'd lost, uh, yeah, it was a massive shame. They'd have been eyeing that game up against Bangladesh, who, with no disrespect, they'd have been fancying a win against what you would call a quite a weak side. They've won, what, three of the last 20-odd games against full nominations. Obviously, I didn't watch much at all because it was on in the middle of the night, but looking at the scorecard, Musa Rabani only rolled two overs, which seemed slightly bizarre. There might have been a reason for that, I don't know, but it seemed strange looking at the card. Um, Raza had a bit of an off day. You know, no runs with the bat, one for with the ball. He's been the star man, so every time he's performed, generally they've come good. But I think, obviously, the... The main moment was that Williams run out by Shaqib, which was brilliant. Um, unbelievable piece of field. And that was the obvious turning point. He was going really well, building something nice with with Ryan Burl. Um, and I wasn't awake for all the drama. I missed out, unfortunately. It's one of those where you feel like you've properly missed out. You want to be online for it. But I think they'll be annoyed that it even got to that stage, never mind losing. Um, it'll be a game they definitely, in the form they're in, they, they think they should have won. Yeah, well, let's talk about that that last over drama then. Uh Adia, you take us through it. It's a, it's been a T Twenty World Cup that's really sort of uh, tested the umpires and those who are, uh, who are supposed to know what the laws are. And, and to be fair, they they basically come out every time, haven't they? 
Yeah, it was actually madness. I mean, props to um, Marais Erasmus and Nitin Menon for staying back and sort of checking the thing again because uh, the players had just gone out of the field. You know, they were on the boundary ropes. All of them were just shaking hands. And then for them to come back for the last ball. Uh, and before that also, the over, and I think the previous over also, that very freakish run out by Shakib Alassan, given the context of the game and, you know, where they were, it was a very crucial direct hit. But sort of weird also, you don't really see two spinners bowling the last two overs. I think Shakib miscalculated there. Uh, but then Mosaddegh Hussain sort of managed to hold things on. I think uh, Ngarva lost, sort of lost himself in the moment there after hitting the six. And, you know, he stepped out and got stumped. And again, I think Nurul Hassan also, uh, you know, messed up a bit by doing that thing with the gloves coming ahead of the stumps. All in all, it was madness. I've never seen something like that for the players to come back. You know, there's this image of Erasmus just standing there alone on the pitch with a no ball signal and just asking everyone to come back. You guys come back, let's play some more cricket. So yeah, that was that was mad. Yeah, he's a cool customer. Uh, just yeah, so what? So it was a lot. So it was five needed to win. Bangladesh think they've won it because uh, and it whips off the bales. They all yeah. walk off the field. Seems like game over. Then they review it. Fun. It's it's because it's it's also just a weird no ball as well. It's not something you see very often at all uh, yeah. with the gloves in front of the stumps before the balls reach them. And so that's why it's a no ball. And so then it's what? It's is it three on oh, no, a three to tie at that point or three to win? Uh, three to tie. Uh, and yeah. then yeah, it misses again, and it's it's a weird, it's somehow an anti anticlimactic and incredibly dramatic at the same time. Uh, and Bangladesh have a little bit of a habit of this, don't they? I mean, there was the Hardik Pandya final over in the 2016 World T20 when they celebrated having got was it one four four and needing two to win off the last three balls. Yeah, um, I was there at the ground then, for that game. I was oh, there at uh, the ground. Yeah, yeah, that was a yeah. Uh, and there was also an ODI against West Indies in 2012, uh, where they what well, they were eight down. They hit the ball towards the boundary, sort of started celebrating, ripped the stumps out of the ground, and then found out the ball hadn't actually reached the boundary. So uh, it was a top ball, and uh, they had to bowl again. And all they, they did win that one as they did today. But yeah, uh, a funny team. Uh, anyway, on to Pakistan Netherlands. This was something of a non-event, I guess, with Netherlands really struggling on a fast wicket against some really quick bowlers. Uh, Harris Rao forced Baz to lead to retire hurt uh, and Mohamed Wasim bolted some, some very good Yorkers at the end that were maybe wasted on on, on sort of the Netherlands tail. Uh, but in the chase, Pakistan's approach was a bit odd, wasn't it, Dan, with, with net run rate? Well, they will be dependent on net run rate if they do qualify. Uh, and they went about it in an odd sort of way, I guess. Yeah, I think you saw in their method of chasing, it's a team who were you know, a little bit all over the place at the moment. They've been hurt twice. They've been stung by close finishes. Um, and just imagine last, what is it, last Sunday now, if they'd have won that game against India, how much better place they'd be in. It'd be India would be scrambling around. Um, I guess the main thing for them is, for the last year, it's been Babar and Rizwan who've been facing all the balls, scoring all the runs. It's just not happened this tournament for those two. That Babar run out was sort of like the icing on the cake. It was objectively quite funny. It was like, you're in this bad run of form and, you somehow managed to get yourself run out against Netherlands when you, you'd be fancying a decent chase. Um, that top four with Fakas man coming in looks a bit odd now with Masood down at four. They've effectively just got four openers um, who made way harder alley. Either way, it's basically out of their hands now anyway. Um, but I think they'll, they'll have to be much better than that um, to have any chance of beating South Africa if they're going to keep their hopes alive. 
Um, yeah, you mentioned Babra and Rizwan and not quite happening for them. There's a couple of stats which either show that they're not in great form or just emphasise how good they have been, which is this is the first time ever that Babar's gone three innings without reaching double figures. And it's also the first time that Rizwan as an opener has gone four innings without making a 50. And even today was up for 49, so uh, uh, only run one away. Uh, but yeah, Fakasaman's an interesting one because he um, he's obviously back at number three, having been injured and sort of in and out of the World Cup squad with that injury. Uh, but he is the one player in that top four that can provide that little bit of extra impetus. And there was a stat going around after these Zimbabwe game that Babar's record opening with Fakar is actually quite a lot better than it is opening with, with Rizwan. How do you see his role on the side, Adrian? And how do you think he played today? I think he looked generally good. He started off with a couple of boundaries and, you know, it's not easy coming into the tournament midway and, you know, trying to create an impact for your team. That too, when the openers are not doing really well. But as Dan pointed out, the composition now seems like there are four openers and uh, Masood scores at a certain run, at a certain rate and you need more from Zaman. Uh, it's tricky. Uh, there's a school of thought that says Zaman should open. Uh, with whom is the question? Does Baba drop one and, you know, does he play at three? Uh, but then you pointed out that Baba and Fakar actually have a good, uh, you know, record as an opening pair. Uh, but yeah, I think it was good to see him back because it's also important for a batting group to have someone coming in at a time when they have been deflated by two losses. So the, a new player brings in some fresh perspective and Zaman has done that in the past, you know, by giving some uh, intent in the middle. Uh, he got hit in the middle. I think there was a bit of an issue with the knee, but I think he's fine now. So hopefully, you know, but then again, as Dan says, it's it's sort of out of their hands, but uh, they need to figure out that because four openers with uh, all four of them, at least three of them, at least not being very high with their unscoring. It's, it's a bit of a problem. Uh, yeah, let's try and work out what, this result means for the groups that every team has played three games now. Um, yeah. As far as I can tell, if Steph could win one out of two, they will be almost certainly through. They'll need what the only scenario would be like, I think an India-Bangladesh washout and those two teams win the other games and then net run rates. That seems quite unlikely. Um, India and Bangladesh might both need to win both their games, but might be able to win just one, but they'd be best if they win both. And Zimbabwe, if they win both, will also quite likely be through unless Bangladesh win both their games, I think. Um, and then on Pakistan, I think they need India to lose to either Bangladesh or Zimbabwe, uh, or they need South Africa to lose to the Netherlands. And if India do lose Zimbabwe, then they also need Zimbabwe to lose to the Netherlands, and they need to win their two games as well, obviously. Uh, so it doesn't look uh, great for them, but I guess Pakistan do have a habit of uh, starting world tournaments badly and then, and then putting it around. So we'll see, I suppose. Uh, anyway... That's enough for today. Uh, Thanks, Adia. Thanks, Dan. Join us tomorrow when Ireland's take on Australia. Podcast Network.